Hey, pull up a chair. Tax on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Well, Murphy, it's the morning after uh, the the strangest debate in history in some ways because it came in the midst of this burgeoning national crisis, uh, the likes of which we really haven't seen uh certainly in the midst of a campaign. Yeah, it's funny. It's The whole thing has shoved the campaign out of its traditional spotlight, so it seems kind of like a sideshow. It's almost like you're tuning into Canadian politics, seeing what's going on there. And, you know, what, what did get me was the youth and energy of the two candidates, spaced as they were, <laughs> you know, in approved 20 feet apart. Um, but, yeah, there's a bizarro land feel to the whole thing, which is part of kind of the cone. They were shipped in in hermetically sealed jars, actually. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I thought the old get smart cone of silence might come down over their heads. But uh, <laughs> it was, um, you know, I've always been a proponent of the no audience thing. I think we've talked about it before. And yes, you, you have. You yeah, you see have. at least a case for Did you have that. to go to such extraordinary lengths to produce that uh, effect, though? I <laughs> well, mean. I am a fanatic on this cause. So give your take in a second. I thought it was a good night for Biden because we're because of the novel coronavirus and all we're in a place where people are a little more interested in a competent president than a fiery candidate so the world has kind of changed on Bernie who was already way in the hole for a million other reasons people don't want a big dramatic contest now nobody's looking for a revolution other than maybe a quarter of the primary voters so you know Bernie was in trouble to begin with and then the world changed on him and so I thought it augured well to Biden and I thought Biden more or less with some wobbles performed up to the task to have, you know, the be the right kind of Biden at this moment. It was like a tale of two debates and tale of two Bidens. Uh, I thought he was sensational, honestly, in dealing with the coronavirus. And it was so interesting because, you know, Bernie, everyone's strength is their weakness. Bernie is is so locked into his point of view and he wasn't going to adjust really. So he basically used the coronavirus to make his pitch again for Medicare for All and uh, generally stuck to his script during the debate. He did uh, have some pretty harsh language for the president and his handling of it at the top. But Biden was super focused on the crisis at hand, and he sounded like a guy who knew how to handle it. Yeah, uh, he, he sounded uh, uh, experienced, knew where the levers were that one had to uh, work in a crisis like this, talked about it in terms of war. Mm -hmm. This is like we are being attacked from abroad. This is something that is of great consequence. This is like a war. And in a war, you do whatever is needed to be done to take care of your people. The vibe of it was somebody had this smart idea, or maybe it was Biden himself, to tell him, look, whenever you can in this debate, act like you're the president and it's a cabinet meeting. All right, you're in charge of respirators. We got to do this. We got to do that. Facts, plans, how to apply the federal government, which in a normal debate, people would probably criticize as boring and technocratic. But in this moment, I, I thought it was it was exactly what he ought to be doing. And, and as you said, he he is that guy. So yeah. he's very happy talking about government systems. And he's had that experience. I mean, he, he was there for the H1N1 flu. He was there for Ebola. He's run big emergency operations. He managed the Recovery Act and did so amazingly effectively. These play to his wheelhouse, and it comes on the thing that everybody is thinking about now. There's no other issue right now 
than the coronavirus. I would have leaned a little bit more into the economics of it because I do think the health and safety aspects of this haven't fully sunk in yet, but the economic impacts of it are beginning to become clear. And there are a lot of people who are scared witless. He was late in getting into that, but he got into that as well. I say it was a tale of two debates, though. The second part really confounded me because, look, Joe Biden's going to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. I mean, you know, I think Nate Silver's probability of, of about Biden getting a majority of the delegates is now up to 99%. He's got an inexorable delegate lead. And even if he didn't get to a majority, Bernie's already said whoever gets the most delegates should be the nominee. And I thought Bernie came into that debate and all his signals all week long leading into it had been that he kind of knows the score. Mm -hmm. He knows that he's probably not going to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. And so I don't think he, I thought he came a little bit toned down. And for whatever reason, Biden provoked him. Yeah. For Bernie, on the Bernie scale. Yeah, he was still doing the act. On a Bernie scale. Yeah. But I mean, you know, when he really, when he wants to, he can decimate people. It was clear he likes Biden. At one point, they were having an exchange about climate change in which uh, Bernie, even as he was attacking him, saying, Joe, I know your heart is in the right place. Now, that's not a normal Bernie move. Yeah, you yeah. know, no, no. It, uh, or Bernie's been going to counseling and we're, he's trying to turn over a new leaf here. But no, I, I agree. It, Bernie's material is always aggressive. There's a big, evil, corporate Goliath upon America, and only I have the guts to go crush it. Everybody else is complicit, including you. You take all your money, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't do it with the moral loading that, therefore, you're evil that he often hints at, because I think he does like Biden, and because I believe him when he says the priority is beating Trump. That is where Bernie's head is at. And he also knows Biden's going to be the nominee. But I don't think Biden received that message Biden was debating as if they were back at the beginning of this fight. Biden was uh, challenging Bernie and was peevish with Bernie. And, you know, it is irritating to have someone troll your 40-year voting record and depict it in terms that are unflattering. But you're the nominee, man. Rise above. Look big. Don't engage. Don't exchange barbs. And I thought as Biden got into it, he was the first guy, by the way, to take a shot at Medicare for all. Yep. I mean, Bernie offered Medicare for all as an answer to the crisis. And Biden properly said that's it's not about this, uh, it, you know, because we have to take emergency measures and that are beyond the point of this larger debate about where the healthcare system goes. We got to act now. That was fine if he had just left it there. But he kind of took gratuitous shots He raised the temperature. No, it wasn't surgical because Biden's a bit of a brawler. And look, you've all heard of Irish forgetfulness. You may lose the car keys, but you're never going to forget your grudges. And Joe (laughs) Joe is the most human of Pauls, and he's cranky about what Bernie's been up to for a while. And he knows that the only reason Bernie is really pulling his punches now is because it's a delicate impossibility to be the nominee. So I, I think that was a little steam venting that's been pent up for a while. And it's the smart move to, to to bottle it up. I totally get what you're saying. Yes, yes. You that. no. I mean, the point is but, your your mindset coming into that debate should have been: I am the nominee of the Democratic Party. I need to bring this party together. I may parry a little bit with Bernie, but 
my main mission is to signify to his supporters respect and that I understand their passion and their concerns. Doesn't mean you have to buy into Bernie's answers, yeah, yeah, but you I, I do have you. to buy into his concerns. You yeah, know? I just think psychologically it might be a bridge too far. It's the right strategy, but you know th- these cats are human. You remember yeah. likable enough. You know, you lived through that. Even the most controlled guy in the world, Barack Obama, had a that moment pissed me where off too. they got to vent that steam. So my guess is going forward. Now that he got it out of his system, more or less, it'll be easier for the staff to tame him into that performance that is in his interest. I, I totally agree on that. Yeah, we've just both been around candidates for every once in a while. The, the humanness gets out, and they they got to let the steam out. And I think that's yeah, I hate when that show. happens. When the I hate what that happens when the humanness gets out. It's in the way. It's the biggest problem we have to wrestle with. You know, it's unbelievable. <laughs> You know, uh, but uh, just on that point, you know, I, I have great respect for Anita Dunn. I think she's very, very talented, and I, she was a great colleague of mine in the campaigns. But she said, I guess strategists are human too, but she said to a reporter after the debate, it's safe to say Vice President Biden showed up to debate tonight and for two hours graciously dealt with a kind of protester who often shows up at campaign events on live television. That's unnecessary, man. Yeah, I agree. I, it's not smart, but now they might be at a place where, okay, you've got the delegates. you got to bark at Bernie from a position of strength for the first time in the campaign. Time to change the chapter and act like the de facto nominee because guess what? That's what you are. Speaking of being the de facto nominee, Biden actually made news yeah. in the debate when asked if he would put a woman on the ticket, and he was unequivocal about did, yeah, it. Yeah, did Let's he have a shocking answer? What, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> I agree with uh, – with the uh, the question, uh, the 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 underlying premise of Amy's uh, question, number one, I committed that if I'm elected president, have an opportunity to appoint someone to the courts, will be a, I'll appoint the first black woman to the courts. It's required that they have representation now. It's long overdue. Secondly, if I'm elected president, my my cabinet, my administration will look like the country. And I commit that I will, in fact, appoint a, I'll pick a woman to be vice president. There are a number of women who are qualified to be president tomorrow. I would pick a woman to be my vice president. Number three, I'm the guy that wrote the domestic violence law, and I'm the guy that put in the, provi- the prohibitions that no one who abuses someone else should be able to own a gun, period. They should not be able to own a gun. I would get the boyfriend exception uh, uh, amend it. Now I've gotten it passed that if you are you get a stay away order from a court, you have a child with someone, you cannot own a gun. No one should be able to own a gun who has abused a woman, period. I mean, there was sort of an amalgam of things that he put together in a Biden-esque way, but yeah. he did make news there. He also said that he would appoint a woman to the a woman of color to the Supreme Court. Well, let's unpack all of this. First of all, he understands how essential women are going to be in this general election and those suburban women in particular. And so this is going to excite people. It also sends a message that, hey, I know I'm going to be the nominee and I'm thinking ahead. It's going to start a guessing game as to who that nominee might be, which will also certify that he is going to be the guy at the top of the ticket. And that is helpful. So I thought that was a pretty shrewd thing. It was obviously something that he planned to do in this debate 
to steal a headline, and he got plenty of headlines out of that. Yeah, no, big tactical move. He gets the headline. I'm not sure he needed a headline. It, you know, he's the Harlem Globetrotter, so he had to bust out a big new move to beat the Washington Generals. I, I don't know. So, <laughs> uh, you know, first of all, I was deeply offended. Because- I, you know, first of all, let me say I appreciate the sports reference since I – can't watch any on TV right now. Right, no, except, exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. the 1991 NCAA championship game. But By the way, interestingly enough, before Trump, the Republican Party in presidential elections had a worse record than the Washington Generals. The Washington Generals actually won a few games, and their losing streak was shorter than ours. But anyway, I, I was deeply offended simply because when I think of the future, I think of my young daughter who happens to be left-handed. Yet the lefties are ignored once again. Where's the left-handed Supreme Court justice? I think the lefties were well represented in that debate. I don't know what you're talking about. My point being this identity madness, I mean, I get the politics of it. And I also know in the internal world of the Democratic Party, it's impossible not to play that game. But the... And, you know, look, I can also argue, sitting here looking at the Margaret Thatcher for Prime Minister campaign poster in my little gallery of campaign heart here in the secret broadcasting location, I get it and I'm for it. But the fact of the election is, and I'm going to sound like the third Muppet. We had the two old guys in the balcony last night. I'll be the third curmudgeon and just make the point that the electorate in the primaries was more than majority female, yet they did not choose to vote for female candidates. And I kind of resent the way that all voters, but particularly women voters, are kind of their typology is all gender. And there's been all this, you know, sobbing all over cable television. Oh, my God, how, who stole the ballots? How did it not happen? Et cetera, et cetera. So I think the voters are multi-factor decision makers. Now, to your point, woman on the ticket, the media choir will go nuts. That is a good thing for Biden because it'll raise the salience of the issue. And I think it might move some suburban women. So as a political thing, my guess is it was going to happen anyway. But in the inside game, and you know this better than anybody, it's a little tricky for Biden because he now has to pick a woman, which means when when you're picking somebody, they come in there saying, well, there are only four of us. And the other two are bad, so let me give you my list of conditions. You know, so it, I, I never like to see anybody narrow their options in this. And because the VP job, and I, I know I'm bloviating, I'll wrap up, the VP job often doesn't drive anybody to vote for you, but how you make the decision and who you pick can also can hurt the candidate. Look up Palin, Sarah. Right. So right. I and then if he doubles down like the identity world would do, it's Stacey Abrams, you know, who hasn't won a statewide, though came close, and is complete food to the Trump bashing machine. It could take the spotlight off Biden and fire Trump competence versus clown shoes. So I don't know. I short term I get the sugar calories of it, but it does box them in. No, understood. Understood. Yeah. I agree on the VP thing generally. Vice presidential nominees rarely help you dramatically, but they can hurt you if they don't perform. And the, and the main thing they have to do is not make mistakes, yeah. be able to bring the attack you know, and carry the message and do well in a debate. I mean, those are the things. So you, there is a do-no-harm element to it that you have to – and I think it's an interesting uh, – question now as to what he does with this. I thought it was telling and interesting that he said that he'd appoint uh, the first uh, African-American woman to the Supreme Court. And that made me wonder, was he trying to uh, avoid VP? You know, right. Uh, Whether he was trying to clear the way to appoint someone who wasn't a person of color as the VP, because there'll be a lot of pressure uh, for that as well. But now he's got three fellow candidates who he probably would be on his, who probably would be on his radar mm-hmm. screen in Warren, Harris, and Klobuchar. And there are 
you know, bunch of, uh, uh, not a bunch, but there are several governors out there he might pick. But it is sort of catnip for the media, so they will be talking about him as the nominee. Though it'll here. be so it, it, it'll be funny. I, the media will get into it, but now if you're Amy, you're like, oh, I better be nice for the next four months. I can't, you know, <laughs> because the media is going to start yeah. to look at him hard too. Do you have a sweepstakes? I would have to think right now, and the world can change. Of the well-known potentials, Amy would be high on the list. I'm sure there'd be a cheering squad for Kamala Harris. Though California's in the bag, um, and then Stacey Abrams has a fan club. Any others come to mind? I guess Warren. Well, look, there are a couple of governors, Gretchen Whitmer yeah, I was of, your, of your home state. She's new. That may enter into it. Uh, but, uh, you know, a very, you know, very mm-hmm. presentable and good candidate, Gina Raimondo, the governor of, mm-hmm. of Rhode Island, is a super smart and talented person. I don't know. She endorsed uh, Bloomberg. I don't know if that matters it shouldn't matter yeah she but, has my endorsement uh, by the way i think she's a terrific public servant yeah you i just, just her killed her chances, chances. yeah <laughs> you exactly. killed her you exactly killed her. <laughs> she she does have opposition from some public employee unions because as state treasurer she led the move to uh reform the state's pension systems which were going bankrupt and that could be a barrier but as a just for sheer talent she should be she should certainly be under consideration. The question is, how is this whole thing going to proceed now? And we should point out right now to our faithful listeners that we are doing uh, hacks in two parts this week. We're going to talk later this week after what I guess will be primaries tomorrow. But, you know, you have the, the CDC saying no more than 50 people should gather in any one place. And we've got primaries in four states tomorrow, some of which are conducted in states where you vote on a touch screen. This is so uncharted waters here. Now, I talked yesterday with uh, my own governor, Pritzker, in Illinois, who said, you know, most of the balloting has been, or a lot of the balloting has been done already because there's early voting. They extended early voting hours for the next couple of days so that people could spread out their voting. Especially if they're dead in Chicago. (laughs) Going back to that joke for the 40th time. That old chestnut just keeps on giving, doesn't it? <laughs> I think I vote in Chicago. thousands of times have you used that joke? So, you know, he said, look, uh, you know, we're moving forward. Practically speaking, I don't know, after you have people early voting for 45 days, are you then going to postpone the election for th- for three months or two months? I think they kind of yeah. have to. Well, like Georgia's done. Yeah. But uh, but it does raise the question about how this whole campaign's going to move forward. Now, I think we probably just saw the last debate. Yep. As they pointed out last night, they both spoke to what they're doing to protect themselves. I thought it was actually a good question. You guys are in the high-risk group as you near your 80s. What are you doing to protect yourself? But no rallies, no rope lines, no interaction with people. Really, everything's going to be done online, or which didn't go well, by the way. For uh, Biden, his first Zoom experience uh, <laughs> kind of crashed and and burned there. It's really hard to know. We don't even know if there'll be conventions. Yeah. No, look, I think what's going to happen is like a lot of American life and commerce, everything is going to slow to a crawl. I, I think the elections will happen. It's too late to cancel them. But we're going to have very low turnout. Who knows? Maybe Bernie will have some freak upset that he wouldn't have had otherwise. But it's, it's going to, the whole thing is going to kind of go because to Because the, the people who will most likely stay away are the older voters who are disproportionately Biden voters. Uh, the people who are probably less cowed will be 
younger voters. That's so what that I'm could, thinking, yeah. could help Bernie, although in all these states there's a significant early vote but an absentee And he's vote, so far but, behind in the data, even if that happened, catching Biden would be would be hard. But the point is, I think people are ready for the Democrat. I think Democrats are ready for the Democratic race to peter out here. And that is what I think the new reality we're in is going to force. So we'll have some. Georgia next week, which would have been the big thing, has been pushed back. And I think Bernie might decide that there's really no way to set the world afire and have the revolution surge back. Uh, in this situation we're in, maybe he's looking at the New York primary and stuff like that down the road. But I think you're going to see both campaigns kind of go to sleep, which is a much better situation for Biden than Bernie. Or maybe Bernie gets out Wednesday if he gets, you know, drumped again, which is pretty likely. Yeah. Well, uh, the other thing that Bernie could decide is we're not going to have a final verdict for a long time because these other states aren't going to vote. So mm-hmm. I can hang around. But I don't know why he'd want to. Right. Right. You know, because basically the effect of this has been to freeze the race and the race is frozen in Biden's favor. And there's nothing you can really do to change the dynamic because there aren't going to be any big intervening events. And honestly, this uh, this environment favors Biden because he does have the experience and he can speak to it in a uh, authoritative way. You know, it it, it just it reminds me uh, just by analogy, I once bumped into a tobacco lobbyist and there was a big bill about banning tobacco advertising. I said, oh, you guys must be mad about that. And the lobbyist said, oh, hell no, we're for it. Because if there's no advertising, we keep all the money in profits and nobody can ever take away our market share if they can't have ads and we're number one. So Biden's kind of in that position. The more the campaign goes to sleep, the better for Joe. So that was probably your cue that we should be reading a few ads of our own. Is that what you were up to? (laughs) You know, I'm not that clever, but we probably should pay a few bills. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. ReliefBand is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer 
just for our hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code hacks, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30 day money back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code hacks for 20% off plus free shipping. Let's just talk about the sort of the environment generally. We talked about how it's going to affect the primaries. What about the general? You know, I have to, you and I think talked, I know I did elsewhere in CNN and elsewhere about, you know, you remember when there was an impeachment? Yeah. Remember that time? I heard some talk of that way back when. Yeah. And uh, at that time, everybody was saying, well, this is going to shape the whole election. And I said, then, look, there are going to be intervening events. We don't know what they are, but this is going to be way in the rearview mirror and there are going to be other things. Little did I know it would be (laughs) a pandemic. But this now clearly is going to shape the election because it's going to go on. Oh, yeah. For a while. Yeah. And, you know, the, the market this morning, they had to hit the brakes again because the market was plummeting. The economic side of this story is going to be really, really strongly felt. So many people are going to lose their jobs. Others are going to have to struggle with what to do with their kids at home if they have to work, although pretty soon most people will be working from home who can. It's just an unbelievable mess. And on top of that, you have the specter of uh, many, many people getting sick and many, many people dying. And people are looking to the president of the United States for leadership. It hadn't gone well so far. Yeah. Look, I think it reclocks the election about competence, which is not the battlefield for Trump. I think he'll be under a daily microscope of how well he's doing, and he has not been doing well. It's just not suited to this because hyperbole and lies don't really help when you're dealing with science and fact. Uh, And this economic thing, I think in some ways that is the next big story here because when you take revenue away from big consumer businesses, be it an airline or a big retailer, because they're closed, um, those businesses are not built uh, to have a huge revenue drop. Look, it, it's not by chance the Fed had an emergency meeting on Sunday and basically got in the completely free money business because they knew the market was going to crash today and they tried to get in front of it. And even with that tool, you know, it, amazingly low interest rates, the market still had a very rough opening. So, you know, you're going to start seeing corporate bankruptcies and all kinds of trouble. Well, I watched Trump yesterday and he said, the, the the Fed has moved. He was very pleased by that. He says, they and they did it on a Sunday. I don't know if that's ever happened before without any apparent understanding that they acted on Sunday because they wanted to get out in front of the right the Monday open reopening of the market. It's like, yeah, come on, dude, you should know these things. But but he doesn't. Where the the election is moved from reality show bullshit with low stakes to high stakes. You're in your house. You can't put your kid to school. If if somebody in your world is uh, connected to one of these industries, your, your income is rapidly dropped. This is terrifying, and there's going to be economic pain, and people are going to skip mortgage and rent payments. Uh, here in L.A., you know, we're closing all the restaurants. It, it, it is going to have a real economic shock. Now, long term, country will, will prosper economically, but in the short term, there's going to be a lot of pain. How would you like to be running American Airlines wondering in two weeks how you're going to have the cash to make the loan payment on all your planes that are sitting empty? and idle. 
Uh, I mean, this is really going to be a bumpy ride. My question is, uh, I'm sitting here in Washington, D.C. for CNN coverage of the elections and hoping that I can get home at the end of it because with the CDC recommending that there should be no more than 50 people in any location, you wonder how long the airlines are going to continue to function and it may uh, or, or to run and it may be in their interest to be shut down because they're running small loads now and probably not very profitable to run half or quarter full planes from place to place. Yeah, there was a, a big email sent out by the CEO of United saying we're going to take half the capacity down and we still think we'll be running at 25 percent, which means they're going to be bleeding billions of dollars that frankly they don't have. So, it, by the way, Greyhound X, that's your answer. Yeah, I know. That's good. As long as I have an empty seat next to me, I, I'm, I'm willing to. Uh, I will do that if I have to. But it does change the whole dynamic of the election. I mean, if it weren't so serious, you'd have to say, boy, how interesting this process is. Just think about it. Three weeks ago, Joe Biden was facing political extinction. Bernie Sanders was the favorite to become the Democrat nominee. Donald Trump was in the betting markets, uh, a real favorite to get reelected. Uh, three weeks, and uh, things have changed so dramatically. And and you got to be, you know, I think you, the fear is always with Trump that as the walls close in, he gets a little, he gets a little bit more erratic, a little bit more mm-hmm. reckless, and uh, that's worse. Do you see the Wall Street Journal NBC poll? yesterday no no i didn't i they, was scrubbing they, the uh, house of clorox <laughs> but uh you know his uh, his uh approval on the handling of this was 45 percent. his base is implacable but what was interesting is they asked which institutions people trusted the most in this crisis and it was state and local government was in the 70s i think the u.s government was in the 60s donald trump 48 percent. yeah less than half the country trust him to handle this crisis. He's the weak cotter pin, no doubt about it. And as you say, he gets wackier and makes it worse. Uh, but here's the, I'll give you the contrarian pitch on the theory that the future is always unknown. I mean, I've been short Trump from the beginning. I've always thought the country's going to fire him. My big worry was who the Dems would nominate. That could still go wrong. Biden's better than some of the choices, but there's still risk there. But here's the other way it could work. I, I'm not sure I believe this, but Trump's numbers go horrible. The country goes through 60 to 90 days of uh, a really difficult period, though we also see the greatness of America, where people kind of come together and get stuff done. Uh, U.S. Army starts building 10 hospitals. Biden's right. It'll be very impressive what can be done. So as we enter the midsummer and this thing starts to get behind us and there's new confidence and there's almost a euphoria rally and the market soars up and people are proud, even though there will be such great pain endured, but they're proud of the way we actually came together as a country in this era to do it. We could be a little bit, and I'll call back to the old Ford jingle we played at the end of the show last week, Feeling Good About America. You know, there could be a moment from August through September leading up to the elections of kind of national relief and happiness uh, that this thing is behind us and we survived it and we're roaring back, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that could be a wave that could help Trump, though I think he'll be indelibly hurt by his incompetence during all this. But if Biden makes some mistakes, you know, some things yeah. go wrong there. You, you can see a perfect storm where Trump kind of rides a euphoria wave back to a better situation. I think if the election were held on July 4th, he would be complete banquet toast. But we're see, there's a lot of time left, believe it or not. 
Well, I think, as I said, we just saw the thing change dramatically in three weeks. Anybody yeah. who makes predictions in this environment is nuts. And you're right, it could turn around. One of the things that would help Trump is if he could make it about the country and not about himself. Yeah, if he but could that's... celebrate what other people are doing and, yep. and make himself the president of the United States. And, you know, every single engagement he has on this, every time he steps in front of the microphones, it is filled with self-puffery. Right. But that's Trump. The narcissism is always the, you know, that's the compass. So I think you're totally right. But he's incapable of that. That's the clinical cuckoo part. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see. I will say that there's a new Emerson poll out in Arizona today. Has Biden beating uh, Sanders by 20 points in the primary? But it also has Biden beating uh, Trump by double digits in uh, Arizona. Sanders losing. If those kinds of numbers hold up, Biden will be in good shape, all things being equal. I will say this, and we can end here because we're going to pick this up again on Thursday. I remember riding, uh, we were flying somewhere in the 2008 campaign, late in the campaign. It was after Lehman Brothers collapsed. The economy was spiraling downward. And uh, Obama was reading the Wall Street Journal on the plane. And I just remember him, he dropped the paper enough so I could see his eyes. And he turned to me and he said, are we sure we want to win this thing? <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, but the good news for Joe Biden is it's never been more possible that he could be the next president. And the bad news for Joe Biden is it's never been more possible that he could be the next president because there's going to be a hell of a lot of cleanup to do. This thing, you're right, this thing could turn. But I don't think the economy is going to turn back that quickly. And there's going to be a lot of work to do to help put this thing back together once it is over. I don't think it's going to be all blue skies for the next president. We will see. I remember back during that financial crisis, there was a joke among Republican consultants. Well, if we really hate Obama and want to screw him, you should get our votes. That same idea. Like, okay, you you take it. You've got 42 rabid ferrets here, and you're now mom. Have fun with it. Well, and you guys you guys got the Congress out of it, so. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I think the Dems may get the Senate out of this. We'll see just how bad the train wreck is, but the data is not in a good direction. Well, look, I want to wrap up here with uh, – Two quick admonitions. One, wash your damn hands. And yes. two, there's a funny Arnold video on this you can find online where he tries to show his dog how to wash hands. And it, uh, it, it'll it make you laugh. And the second thing is a little special hat tip to my wife, Tiffany, who has, with our neighborhood leader, Randy Asada, organized a deal where the young and healthy, so luckily I'm omit, but they're doing grocery <laughs> shopping for some of the older people in the neighborhood who are quite afraid to go out to a grocery store. And that's something yeah. that would be replicated all over America. I hear stories about that on Twitter, and I would encourage people yeah. to try to organize that in their neighborhoods because uh, great, living great with note. fear is part of enduring this, and that's where community and having people helping other people can make a big difference. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, that's what's going to come out of this. There yeah. is a greatness in people, and, there, and there's a great spirit in this country, and uh, it is emerging, and I think it's going to be a big part of this story by the time – uh, that we're done. All right, brother, you stay safe. And uh, I will speak to you later this week and we'll evaluate these primaries tomorrow, which could be the end of the Democratic race for president and the beginning of the general election. I couldn't agree more. And get home to Chicago, even if you have to hitchhike. I think people will be kind to you this week. <laughs> All right, brother. All right, see Talk you. to you later. Bye-bye. 